on this Palm Sunday, we will look or have looked at two ways that the church or the religious movements of history have treated differences. On that first Palm Sunday, the religious movement of the Jews were alarmed at the differences, the religious differences of Jesus. And rather than seeing Jesus as a complement or a completion of what they had been about, they chose to rebuke that movement. As a matter of fact, they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for what they are saying. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. The other extreme, the other end of the spectrum, is when churches have no real distinct idea of why they exist. They just want to be everything to everybody. And so they will try with all of their might, whatever comes up at whatever moment, to have this chameleon ministry that blends in with the needs of the day. Today, we want to talk about the third alternative. We want to talk about appreciating the differences of local churches. Now, you will remember, please, that two weeks ago, I talked about your individual wiring. That God made you like you are on purpose. That you think like you do by design. That you have the temperament that you do by design. Now, you may come to wrong conclusions and you may use your temperament to sin and that was never God's intention. But basically, you are exactly the person God made for the purpose He gave you to serve in this world. Then last week I said that you are not only made with certain wiring, you have the capacity for certain spiritual gifts. And God has called us together with our individual spiritual gifts into a body. And he did not make a mistake when he gave us the gifts that we have. Nor did he make a mistake when he gave our neighbors the gifts that they have. So therefore, he forms us to minister to one another. And then we have completed a local church. Well, let's take it one step up this week. Let's say that God gifts not only individuals, but local churches differently. That he has a universal church, which is his bride. And that different local churches are gifted in certain ways to complete the picture. Not to compete with each other, but to complete each other. Now before I get into the meat of this message, I know myself well enough that I need to pray beforehand. Um, and confess my weakness in slanting the story toward our end, toward our church. So would you pray with me and help me confess? Lord, I do come to you confessing the sinfulness of my perception. I always want to look good, and I want our church to look good. And therefore, uh, there could be times in this message when I am tempted by tone, by implication to degrade others. I ask you to help me resist that temptation and help the tone to be one of appreciation for what you're doing in all of your church. Please, God, remove the egotism here. 
in all of us so that we can go beyond ourselves and appreciate the variety that you have given to us in all of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the text for this message is from Revelation, the second chapter. And I'm going to just read five verses, but the FF at the end of the five in your bulletin means go forward. In other words, this is, there's, there's a whole story in here. The first of these is but an example of how Jesus repeatedly addresses a local church. He knows its strengths and he knows its weaknesses. But each church has its own personality symbolized by an angel. If you will read with me. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. From there, Jesus goes and addresses several churches. And he says to them three things. He says, I know your deeds. I can identify your behavior, in other words. I know your tribulation. I know your circumstance, in other words. And I know your love. I know your heart, in other words. Each church has its own unique personality. Now, in Scripture, let me just tell you a couple of technical things that may help you out. In Scripture, not only individuals, but groups of people have guardian angels. If you want a reference for guardian angels in Scripture, um, you, there's one in Matthew 18, chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about the little children and about how people should be careful because little children take their example after um, adults. And he says, see that you do not offer a wrong example. And he, in this word, it is, it is despised. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. In Acts chapter 12, Peter escapes from prison or is let out of prison by the Lord. He goes to the house where he knows Christians are, and they're, of course, all locked up. They're scared to death. And Rhoda, who is not a clear-thinking girl, sees Peter, goes to the door, sees Peter, and leaves him there to run, doesn't let him in, leaves him there and run to run and tell the other disciples, Peter's out there, Peter's out there. And in verse 15, they say to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. Now, there are not only in Scripture guardian angels for people, but there are also representative angels for nations. In Daniel chapter 10, it talks about the vision that Daniel is having. And a heavenly personage comes to him. 
And he's explaining why it has taken him so long to answer Daniel's prayers. And he says to Daniel this, But the prince, and the Hebrew is angel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me following 21 days. In other words, he held me off for 21 days. And then behold, Michael, who's the archangel, one of the chief princes, angels, came to me, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. What I want you to get out of this is not an angelology. We'll talk about that when we talk about spiritual warfare. What I want you to know is that groups of people also have personalities. And therefore, different churches are different for different purposes. Jesus will come to a local church and he will say, this is what I have seen. This is where you need help. Now let me just take a walk with you and explain some of the different typologies of local churches you may have experienced so that you can get a picture of how full God's puzzle is with all of the pieces. These typologies, by the way, come from Lyle Scheller. Lyle Scheller is one of the leading church sociologists in the nation. Brilliant man. Written about 12 books. Um, and from his research, he offers different typologies of different churches. Some of these are his, some of them are mine. One of the typologies is the legalistic church. Now, I realize that legalistic uh, is a pejorative term. And I realize that some of you have come out of churches that were fairly oppressive as far as what they required uh, of believers. Um, and there are churches that will tell you in great detail how to behave. They are churches that want to um, concentrate on the management of your life. However, they serve a purpose. First of all, the giftedness of those churches goes like this. They are heavily gifted with people who have both a pastoral and an administrative gift. You remember last week I said that people with the gift of being a pastor are people who are concerned with people within the boundaries that they are. They don't go beyond the boundaries. They are concerned with the, with the people within certain boundaries, and those are the people they pay attention to. Remember also that I said the people with the gift of administration are the people who are categorizers. They are how to run a smooth process, how to make things all alike so that everything fits together and there are no glitches. When there is a problem in a church, an administrator will always handle the policy like this, or a problem like this, let's make a policy. Therefore, everybody will behave like this and everybody will fit into this groove and nobody will mix us up. Let's operate efficiently. When you combine those two gifts in a local congregation, you have a legalistic congregation. That is to say, these are our people. We will whip them into shape and teach them how to run their lives efficiently. They are not as concerned about doing the right things as they are about doing things right. Now you say to yourself, look, I know a lot of people who have been burned in churches like that. I wonder why God even allows churches like that. He allows them because there is benefit in learning the proper form. When you learn the proper form in, as, to, as to the behavior in Christianity, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You know? There, when, those of you who coach will know that when you get a kid who is learning how to bat, there is great advantage in teaching him the proper form. 
the proper stance, stepping into the ball, bringing the bat through on a level plane, watching the ball hit the bat, and so on and so forth. If the kid has the proper form at the very beginning, and he does not have to learn it later on, it will be of tremendous advantage to him because the naturalness of his giftedness can come through. Those of you who have run track will know that especially in, print, in, in sprints, there are people who spend hours and days and weeks and months simply learning how to come out of the blocks. Something as basic and as initial as that. Coming down, getting the right stance, coming out of the blocks, pumping, keeping low when you first come out so you can minimize the wind resistance, concentrating on your legs. You see, you can cut off microseconds from your time if you have the proper form. Well, the value of a church like that is to teach you how to get past the first things so that you can get into the arena of grace. I used to hate to ice skate because I'd fall down a lot. And when I learned not to fall down a lot, I could get around, you know, how, they, how you do. You can get around anywhere, but you look awful. And so I took a class in college, a PE course, on ice skating. Day after day after day, we would learn the basics. The outer edge, the inner edge, and this is this, and this the very basics. After I learned the basics, I could relax and enjoy. I could even be a little graceful. Because I didn't concentrate on my skates anymore. I concentrated on what I wanted to do. Dancing the same thing. Anything you do is the same thing. You learn the basics so that you don't have to pay attention to them anymore. Now, in a legalistic church, you have to learn the basics so that you don't pay attention to it anymore. The problem with legalistic churches is that they keep wanting you to pay attention to the basics. You know, you keep trapped in the law. However, without the law, we don't have freedom because we injure ourselves. And so, therefore, it's important. Well, what about ideological churches? This is another group. Ideological churches are churches who hold up as foremost the ideology and where they, where they stand on certain things. You can read churches like this in the paper. We are fundamentalists, premillennial, uh, Bible inerrant, and they just go down the list. The theme or the motto in a ideological church is uh, people may not like us, but they'll know where we stand. You bring up an issue, and they will tell you exactly where they stand. As a matter of fact, they'll go out and demonstrate for that issue. The password or the main frustration in an ideological church is apathy. I can't believe people are so apathetic. They're, they are gifted heavily in the profit area. And they want to go out and change the world. They want to confront the world. They want to tell the world where it's wrong. See? And so, therefore, they will make up a stance on everything, and they will go out and confront the world. Well, you say, I've seen those people and they just look like raving maniacs. They give us all a bad reputation. Makes me uncomfortable. I think it's tacky. Maybe so. But, let me tell you something. If you will trace the major changes in your lives, most of them will have come when you were very uncomfortable. When somebody made you very uncomfortable. And so, therefore, there is a witness in that kind of ministry. Now, you may not be like that. And if you have been in ideological churches and you were not quite as intense about certain issues as they were, you may have gotten burned and gotten a whole load of guilt. 
But there is a purpose for them. There is a purpose for a church like that. What about a missionary church? There are missionary alliance churches and different little missionary churches that just love to go out and, and send the gospel, export the gospel. They're wonderful. They're wonderful churches. They are heavily gifted in the areas of uh, apostleship. Remember I said the gift of apostleship are those that go beyond boundaries. They love to go beyond boundaries. Now they may, again, put a whole load of guilt on people if they don't respond uh, as they think they should to missionary causes. You know, somebody might say in the middle of June, boy, we really need some air conditioning in the church. And they'll go, did Jesus have air conditioning? No, he didn't. There are people dying and going to hell and you want air conditioning? You go, you know. But think of the wonderful export of the love of Christ that these people do year after year to people who have never had the advantage of hearing about the love of Jesus. Wonderful people. What about relational churches? These churches are gifted heavily in the area of mercy and helps. Relational churches will love you. That's what the, their goal, their priority is intimacy, and it is wonderful. There's a church in town here that I have heard about recently. Uh, there was an article in the paper not too long ago from the gal who's, that starred in uh, Father Knows Best. It's called the Open Homes Church. They are largely populated. I'm, I'm not sure. I think the vast majority of them are people with uh, problems with addictions or in families uh, that, that have addictions. They know that some of us are walking wounded. You know, when you've gone through a trauma like that, you have some addiction yourself or you have addictiveness in your, in your family, you are not only hurt and discouraged and depressed, you are ashamed. Because you feel like everybody else has got it together, and if they know who you are, they're not going to accept you, or they're going to think of you as less. And so churches like this have as their priority just loving you. Just loving you. When you talk about spiritual progress in a church like that, they don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about love, about healing, about acceptance, about encouragement, about serenity. That's a wonderful, wonderful goal. So there's that kind of church. Now one more I'll give you, and then then we'll go on. Church of Transformation. Transformational churches. These churches are concerned about spiritual development. They are not largely walking wounded, although they have them. They are not largely legalistic or concerned about form, although they want the correct form. They're not largely concerned with... uh, uh, missionaries, although they support missionaries and certainly want to increase their support and so on and so forth, what they do though is they say there's a certain area over which I have influence. By the way, an excellent book with this reference is Stephen Covey's uh, Seven uh, Habits of Effective People. Of the most effective people, is that right? Highly effective people, thank you. Okay. If I can go to a to a paradigm I saw in that particular book. I can categorize or at least explain these kinds of people. These people say, okay, there are areas in this world about which I am concerned. Now, the ideological people will go out and take every area with which they are concerned and demonstrate, you know? However, these people, the ones who are looking for transformation of the spirit for their own lives say, The area over which I have influence is smaller than the area for which I am concerned. 
There are a lot of issues that concern me in this world, but I can't realistically affect them. What I can affect is me and my family. And therefore, I want to be open to God to transform me. And I want a long-term answer. I don't want just a short-term answer. I don't want to just go shallow. I want to go deep. See? Congregations like that have a giftedness in wisdom. There are a large part of their congregation that have that particular spiritual gift. Well, where's Northland in all of that? Let me explain to you where I think Northland is. If Jesus came today, what he would say to us, how I think we are wired. Now, I hasten to say to you that obviously this is my impression and obviously the jury's still out. We are in the formative years of our own personality structure. We are also in the formative years of discovering our giftedness. And so therefore, this is just my impression. But there are four areas when you go to a church that you say, okay, this is what that church is like. There are four areas that you study. One is the church's history. Because history has a residue. Patterns get established. And so you look at the church's history. This church is only 18 years old. And I came um, when it was about 12 or 13 years old. But I can I have distinct memories, and some of you have longer-term memories than I do. These were my impressions when I first got here. See if they match yours. First thing I noticed about this church was that it was tremendously thorough. My application process to become a pastor at this church, just the application itself, took me eight hours to fill out. Just the application. They, in that application, I mean, they gave me vocational testing. They gave me psychological testing. They, they asked me every theological question I hadn't answered since I was in seminary. And I absolutely loved it. I thought, how great to have a group of people who are competent enough to know what they're doing. To examine people. You know, they, and they weren't, I mean, it wasn't any big deal to come here, you know. But they wanted to know whoever came here, they knew who, who was coming here. They were thorough. They were intelligent. They were earnest. And they were, if I can put this in a proper context, different. Now let me try to explain that. When I first got here, I thought this church had a spirit of rebellion because, number one, the leadership was getting whacked all over the place. And I thought, you know how churches are. They kind of they kind of give you this to leadership. You know, come on, be a leader. Don't you be a leader. Come on, be a leader. Don't be strong. You know, be strong. Don't control us. You know, that kind of thing. And that's what was happening. So I thought, well, there's a spirit of rebellion here. And whenever they said, well, this is how they do it in the traditional church, <laughs> immediate Northland said, not for us. You know, if they're doing it that way in the traditional church, we're not going to do it that way. Thought there was a spirit of rebellion. I've learned since that it's not. It's a spirit of creativity. They don't want to offer what everybody else is offering. They don't want to be like everybody else, not because everybody else is unacceptable, but because if you're going to be like everybody else, let's just go join everybody else. There is a, there is a, uh, a history in this church. Wait a minute. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, no, that's okay. There's a history in this church. I don't care. What else is new? There's a history in this church of always seeking what 
again in that book um, and in 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 uh, uh, Buddhist terms is the middle way. Now, just because it, the Buddhists have a concept of this also doesn't mean it's false. We'll get into that area of, of Northland's acceptance also. It just means they've discovered a piece of the truth that we've discovered. The middle way is not something that's a compromise between this and this. Rather, it is an apex. It is something, a third alternative that nobody's thought of yet. It's something that makes tremendous sense to everybody. And I'll explain a little bit more about that as I go along. But that was the, that was the history of this church. Very interesting people. Very interesting. And they were very serious about their Christianity, but had a blast together. I love that. This church has always had a sense of humor, but always listened very, very intently to how they could be transformed by the Spirit of Christ. I love that. Okay, so you look at the history. Then you look at the worldview. How do they view the world? You heard several worldviews right here. One is, you know, well, you go out into the world to infiltrate the world and kind of lose yourself in the world. Yes, we certainly want to be a part of the world and don't want to offend them with the gospel. Another one was, come out from the world and be separate. That's our motto. You know, come ye out. And so you, you kind of reject the world. Another thing that, that impressed me about Northland when I first got here, and you can read this for yourselves in the philosophy of ministry, was the fact that they did not reject the world. They saw the world not to be feared or to be escaped, but to be used for the illustration of the, of the truth of the gospel. They saw the world as a temporary place of ministry so that the gospel could be proved in the world. You see, there's not two truths. God doesn't speak with a forked tongue. He doesn't speak scientifically over here and biblically over here. Our God is all truth is God's truth. And therefore, if it works here, it will work there. And that's how Northland has always looked at the church, as something to illustrate the truth of the gospel. Not eschewing the world as something that, you know, well, it carries on its agenda, you know. Uh, and But we have a separate agenda that... Uh, well, let me tell you a story. True story. Years ago, years and years ago, there was a bishop from the east that um, went to the western part of the United States to a small religious college to speak there. And the evening before he spoke, he was having supper with the president of that college. And this bishop was waxing eloquent about how we were in the last days because all of the prophecy was being fulfilled and... Certainly, everything that could be invented in this world had already been invented. Everything of use. Well, the college president, much to his credit and integrity, disagreed with the bishop. And he said, I don't agree. I see several more possibilities of inventions that could happen in this world. As a matter of fact, one of them is flight. I see the possibility someday that man will fly. I know it's been tried time and time again, never happened, but I think it'll happen. The bishop was aghast and repulsed. He said, man will never fly. If God wanted man to fly, he'd have given him wings. The bishop's name was Wright. W-R-I-G-H-T. He had two sons. Orville and Wilbur. 
You see what fools the church makes of themselves when they ignore the world and when they will not use what is in the world as an avenue for the gospel of Christ. Northland doesn't have that kind of worldview. That impresses me. Then you also looked at the, at the giftedness of the church. And, and, and as you have probably already guessed, when I talk with you, I hear a great deal of wisdom. I hear people who are not willing to settle for the short-term, shallow answers of life. Nor are they willing to divorce their own needs from everything else out of the context of how the world really runs. I'm impressed with that. I've always um, wanted to be around people who I felt could teach me even from their questions. And I believe you are that people. I learn so much from you. You are much wiser than you know, much wiser than you give yourselves credit for. And I see so much wisdom in here, and I just believe that that's where Northland is as far as its giftedness. Now, we have a broad range and a broad balance of spiritual giftedness here. But I think we have a preponderance of wisdom. And then you look at its priorities. The fourth category is that you look at a church's priority. When you're trying to figure out what that church is all about, what do they emphasize? Let me ask you this question. I have a friend of mine, pastor in the city, who just, they went through a process of renaming their church. Got renamed from Florida Shores to Discovery Church. Okay? If you could rename Northland appropriately, what would you name it? What name would you give it? Think about that this week. Um, it is important to be able to look at a church and sense who it is so that we don't feel like we have to be all things to all people. And we're not shifting chameleon-like. And we can appreciate the rest of the churches in town because they can be that because we're not called to be that. That's important. If you were going to explain to someone who never had seen Northland before and they looked at you and said, what is your church all about? What would you say? Could I give you an answer for that? As a matter of fact, you get an answer to that. Every Sunday you come here. That answer is on the front of every bulletin you get. It's in very light print. So you may have missed it. But the mission of this church is to bring people to maturity in Christ. It's just that simple. And when people say, I was talking with somebody Saturday night, and they said, boy, I got in a big to do the other day somebody asked me about my church and what we what we stood for what what was our deal you know and and I and I just started rambling you know and then he started questioning me and I got all defensive and we got in a big argument you know don't ramble don't try to explain just say we're about bringing people to maturity of in Christ now they will almost always ask you a second question what do you mean by that let me give you a three word answer You'll find it in the first chapter of John. Philip said it. And it's the only adequate answer you can give. Come and see. It's the only adequate answer you can give because you cannot explain the personality. If somebody said, would you please explain to me the personality of your wife? <laughs> huh? Yeah, try it. Oh, 
You know? Now, you may explain what she believes about something, but even then, you probably couldn't do it adequately. How in the world can you explain a church? No, you explain the mission. You explain the priority of the church. And again, the priority of Northland is always to go for the deep, long-term answer instead of the quick, easy fix. We do want what is practical, but we want what is practical in terms of the purpose of life. Not just what will fix a problem, but what you can exercise again and again and again in the midst of all problems. We do want what is personal, but we want what is more than personal. We want what is universal, what not only works for our lives, but works for every life. We do want what is immediately and and gratifying, but so many times we've got to put that off because if we take that answer, we won't get to the deeper issue. And we are about deeper issues here. And we'll never, never give up on that. Even if we can find the technically correct answer. Dr. Robert Oppenheimer was the director of the research for the first atomic bomb. And when they exploded that test bomb for the first time in the sands of New Mexico, he was called into the Congress, who then was very aware of the tremendous power that that bomb had. And the Senate committee asked him, is there a defense against this bomb? And he said, yes, there is. Now let me break into this story. If I were to say to you right now today, Do we have a defense against incoming bombs? Almost all of you would think of a logical, technical answer. And you would say, yes, the Patriot missile. Because it's been demonstrated. Or you would say, yes, someday I hope we build a strategic defense initiative. And that will be able to knock the bombs out of the air before they get to us. See, that's the logical, technical answer. That's one we can build. That's one we can work on. But do you know what Dr. Robert Oppenheimer said was the ultimate defense for this bomb? Peace. Peace. You say, well, it's impossible. Why? Why is it impossible? Do we stop working for it because it's deeper or tougher to get to? No, we don't. No. That's the character of this church. Character of this church is to go for the treasures that we can store up in heaven, the treasures that will be long-lasting, that won't fade over time. The the, the, The character of this church is to live at whatever age we are with the wisdom of, now watch this, a 90 year old. If you live to be 90 years old, and I hope you do, I'm not gonna make it, Becca's already asked me how she thinks we're going to die, and I said, I'll tell you how we're going to die. At 88, both of us will be riding on a big Harley Davidson motorcycle. (laughs) By the way, I told that to the last service, and this one guy came out and he said, my brother, at 90 years old, was riding on a huge BMW, pulled over the side of the road, had a stroke, and that was it. I said, that's great! He went out with class! That's fantastic! What a way to go! Isn't that great? Gee whiz. Well, anyhow, if you're 90 years old, if you make it till you're 90 years old, and you're laying on your deathbed, and you're looking back over the years, 
I hope that all of you can say, you know, in the middle of my life, or early in my life, I figured out the purpose of my life, and I lived my whole life toward that purpose. I did not waste 50 years. I did not waste 30 years. I lived toward that purpose, and I don't regret a thing. I've accumulated things that have long outlived me, and I have done what I was sent to do for Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you that you have given us a purpose. And thank you that you have given us a purpose as a church. And thank you that because we are discovering our purpose, by discovering our personality, our giftedness, that we can be fully appreciative of all the other churches around us. The churches that are strong in evangelism and the churches that are strong in social action and the churches that are strong in prophecy and the churches that are strong in form. Thank you for them. And we ask you to bless their ministries and lift up their people and help them to come to Christ as we are coming to Christ. We ask you to resource their ministries with your Holy Spirit. And we pray for them and help us Please, to pray for them daily and appreciate how we need them and how much they complement who we are. Meanwhile, Lord, continue to develop us spiritually so that we may add to your church body universal what you've made us to add. The purposefulness, the wisdom, the answers that run deep and long. Help us, Lord God to develop maturity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.